You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. And I'll encourage you to pick up a Bible, and if you're in the second row, pass the Bible to the people in the front row. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we want you to take one of those Bibles as our gift to you, and hopefully you will use it and see all the truth that is in there. We're going to be reading uh, John chapter, we're going to pick it up at chapter 13, verses 33, on to chapter 14, verse, to the end of verse 6. That's page 956 in that church Bible, John 13, 33, page 956. We started a series called Uncomfortable Conversations a few weeks ago, and they're not uncomfortable because they're bad or evil or mean. They're uncomfortable because uh, sometimes things make us uncomfortable in the Bible because the Bible convicts, the Bible speaks to life. It has all the answers to life because it's from God given to us. And so, of course, it's going to creep into the areas of our life we don't necessarily want it to, but that's good. That's growth. So let's pick it up. Let's read from verse chapter 13, verse 33, to the end of verse 6. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, Simon Peter said, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you will follow me later. Lord, Peter said, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I tell you, a rooster will crow, will not crow until you have denied me three times. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you where I'm, that I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am going, you may also be. You will know the way to where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. God, I believe that you are real, that you created this earth, that every person in this room was created for a purpose. And Lord, some people have discovered that purpose, some have not. Some people are walking in freedom, Lord, and some are are walking in bondage. Some are, are full of joy and some are down and depressed. But Lord, you called me out of darkness and you rescued me from a pit of misery. And wherever we are, 
you're here today and you are willing to take us as we are, whether a backslidden Christian, uh, whether a non-believer, and change us. Lord, help me a simple man uh, to talk about this great truth that we find, what your words mean. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, did you know that there are hundreds of millions of people all over the world uh, who live in houses made of mud? Did you know that? That all over the, the Middle East and in Africa, uh, when I say mud, I mean, I mean mud that's been taken and mixed with stones and, and then baked under the hot sun into bricks. Uh, they build houses out of mud because there's no trees and because they don't have access to steel. I actually lived in a mud house or a mud compound for about two months uh, when I was overseas in a place called Gombad. You can uh, see there, this was the compound that we lived in. And so um, it looks uh, well, it looks like a mud compound. If you go closer, uh, you can see that all along the sides, the bricks have been then covered over by more mud, which is bakes under the sun. And although it's very strong uh, when it's dry... Um, when you add water, and you go to the next picture, um, it starts to erode. Now, in the middle of each compound, there is a place where you do your cooking. That's uh, us. That's where we cook our meals, and, and that's kind of where all uh, family business gets done. And now, on each side um, of the walls, there are these uh, uh, rooms, you could call them. And so we had tents on top of the rooms, and then the officers would sleep in the rooms. Now, here's the thing with mud houses. They're very strong when it's dry, but when put under pressure of moisture and rain, they're always needing repair. Always. They're, they're constantly in repair. Uh, mud houses are, are, and you can uh, take that away, thanks now. Mud houses are, are, are not very fun to live in, uh, but it's when it's all you know, it's all you have. Uh, they're hot because the bricks don't breathe. Uh, they're dusty and you're always choking. You're always filthy from the walls. Um, it's depressing because they're brown. And who likes to stare at brown all day long? Living in a mud house is a miserable place. And it's a constant place of repair. And I would uh, propose to you uh, that many, many people live in mud houses. And here's the thing about mud houses is uh, when the rain beats hard on them, uh, when there is a torrential downpour, uh, what happens is the water pools and the pressure continues and then the roof erodes and eventually sinks. Uh, that happened um, on that picture that I just shown you. That roof, uh, part of it gave way and a sinkhole happened and just, we just happened to get out of the way and it caved in on the officer's bunks below. Sad day for them. <laughs> but this is the reality of many people's lives. They build their lives on an unstable foundation, out of an unstable source. And it looks strong on the outside, but once the pressures of life come on it, holes start to form. And they're constantly patching it together. But as you know, a patch is never as strong as the original. And eventually, patches give way, and the whole thing sinks. And we can see that happening in our country. Uh, we can see that over the last 50 years, uh, the once a great country that we were, the further it moves away from God, the more and more it erodes. The more and more holes there are. The harder it is to patch everything together and to keep it going. 
You don't have to be a believer in God to see that there's a serious problem in our society, that things are not getting better, they're in fact getting worse, that people can't cope with life anymore. The basic things that if you lived 50 years ago, you'd be able to to deal with, uh, it's just not possible anymore. All you need is eyes to see and ears to hear, and it's evident. And after decades of trying to patch things together, now we are under a torrential downpour and we can see our society almost hemorrhaging. And so people are confused. People don't know the way to go anymore. Like I didn't. I used to just wander aimlessly through life. One relationship to the next. One Ryan Coke after another. One paycheck leads to the next. This was life for me for 27 years, and and this is life for a lot of people. People don't know or feel like life is even worth living anymore. You know what the number one belief for people under 30 is now? It's called nihilism. The belief that nothing matters. We ask ourselves, why are all these shootings happening? Why are all these young people going in and doing these horrible, atrocious things? Because when you don't believe anything matters, when you don't believe in a God, there's no right or wrong, that nothing matters, you can do deplorable things. People are falling to the wayside. And people uh, like I was who didn't know what was right and what was wrong. You know, my philosophy of thinking back in my earlier days was, if it's good for me, then I don't care who it hurts. And nobody has the right to impose their version of truth in my life. And that's the way so many people live nowadays. And so many people live life without a purpose. We build these fake social media lives, hoping to impress a bunch of people that don't really care about us and that we don't really care about so that we can feel good about ourselves for a few minutes, uh, like my life was. It was all smoke and mirrors. But inside, I was constantly struggling, constantly grasping for some sort of truth, but never finding anything. No way, no truth, no life. And that's some people in this room. Everyone in this room fits into one of three categories. You're either living a godless life, meaning you don't want anything to do with God, you've rejected him from your life, uh, you don't want to be under his authority or under his love in any way, shape, or form. Or you're living a religious life where you're kind of in and out, and, and I'm a Christian in this area, but not in this area. Or you're living a life as a Christ follower as a broken person who Jesus is putting back together again. And in this scene that we see playing out before us in John 13, uh, we find the Son of God, Jesus, is telling the disciples, I'm about to leave you. I'm going to go to the cross. He's preparing himself to go to the cross and take the sins of the world upon himself and then defeat death by rising from the dead and and coming back and being witnessed by thousands of people, even Roman historians saying that Jesus actually rose again. And so what's happening here is after three and a half years of ups and downs, the disciples have gone through a lot, but they've always had Jesus as their constant. He's there, everything's going to be okay. And now he says, I'm going for a while. And they start to freak out. Their lives start to become unraveled. It says in verse 1 that Jesus said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. That word troubled in the Greek, it, it means to be stirred up, to be shaken up. 
Everything is chaotic, which was once peaceful. My son, my younger son, has one of those snow globes uh, beside his room, right? And, 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 and the point of it is to take it and shake it up, right? Uh, it's, it's peaceful, and then everything's chaotic, and the snow's going everywhere. And that's a lot of people's lives. That's the apostles' lives right now. It's shaken up. That's some of your lives. They're full of anxiety and worry. Some of you are, like many in our country are, an epidemic of worry and anxiety. What, what once was a firm belief that Jesus will be here with us, he will, he will redeem our, us out of this oppression from the Romans and, and get rid of the religious hypocrites, the Pharisees, and now Jesus says, I'm leaving, and they're like, what? What? What is Jesus' response to their troubled hearts? Is it more money? No, it's, it's better health care. He's going to fix the health care system. No, actually, I think he said, I'll give you more access to better education. No. God's prescription for a troubled heart is faith. It's simple. And yet it is the best remedy. He says, believe in God and believe also in me. It's so simple. And yet it's so hard for us, isn't it, to believe that there is something bigger than us that is actually in charge, that can actually be steering your life amongst the chaos of what we see going on around us on a day-to-day basis. It's hard. I can remember being on, uh, um, when we would go into Afghanistan, we'd ride on what was called a Hercules. It's a cargo plane. And so you sit on these nets along the sides and you strap yourself in. And there's no artificial uh, environment like there is in commercial planes. Um, it's big and it's hollow and it's loud and it's uncomfortable. And when, you, when we start to cross the border over the mountains, we do what, they do what's called uh, contrary flight. Contrary fl- Contour flying. It's when, to keep from surface-to-air missiles hitting the Hercules, they fly low and with the mountains. And so there's already no artificial environment in there, but now you're going like this over the mountains. And so they tell you to prepare, and and no matter how many times you do it, you never really get used to it. Uh, But the people who don't do it for, who are doing it for the first time, they start freaking out, a lot of them. They'll start to get sick, they'll start to hyperventilate. I remember I was like really nervous the first time, even the the second and third time, I was still nervous. And I can remember, um, they tell you to get ready for it. They come over and say, we're now going to enter, the the lights go out, uh, the red light comes on, and you get ready. And then it starts, and your, your stomach feels like it's riding up into your head, and, and like your, your, your bottom's going to drop out. But I can remember this sergeant uh, on my uh, last time over, and, and he was as calm as a cucumber. And, and as some of the younger guys are starting to freak out. Uh, he just looks across the, the net. I can remember him looking. He says, guys, it's okay. They've got this. This is what they do. He had faith that the pilots knew what they were doing. And although the circumstances seemed out of whack, that it was going to be okay. And this is faith, to believe that there is someone bigger who's got this. And although it's up and down, that in the end it's going to be okay. The apostles wrestled with that on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the storm. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat, and they're freaking out like the world's going to end. Jesus, don't you care? We're about to die. And, and Jesus says to them, oh, you have little faith. 
and then he rebukes the storm, and it stops. Faith, it's been the answer for Christians for 2,000 years, through the ups and downs of life, that God is in charge, and in the end, it will be okay. And, and maybe you're in the camp where you don't believe in a God, or you see you don't believe in a God who you can actually know. And, and that's a sad place to be in. Uh, that's where I was in, because then you have to depend on other humans to, to, to control your life, or you have to depend on yourself. And I ask you, how is, going, how is it going for you depending on other people? Is the government doing a, a great job at keeping your life stable? How are you doing at it? Are you the master of your own destiny? If you're to be honest, it's not going too well. It wasn't going well for me. If you're in camp two, well, maybe you kind of sit on the fence and, and yeah, you say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is real and I believe in the God of the Bible, partially at least. I believe in some areas, uh, yes, he's in charge, but I believe in some areas I can be the master of my own destiny. And that's maybe even a worse place to be than the first place. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a disappointing place to be because you'll never get to experience all that God has for you, what faith really does to give you that security. You'll be constantly walking in faith and then jumping over trying to fix things on your own and back into faith and back over to yourself. You never get what Proverbs 3 says uh, when it says to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Your path's always going all over. He's, he wants to make your path straight, but you won't let him. And because you're not fully committed, you're, as James says, a double-minded person. James says in James chapter 1, verse 6, but let him ask with faith, without doubting, for the doubter is like a surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all ways. You see what he's saying? Religious people, half-in, half-out people, they're unstable. They're being blown all over, double-minded. Is that you, Christian? Brother, sister? Because as our country goes through what it's going through, it may have been all right to, if you were raised in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, uh, when everyone was a Christian and things were easy and the country was on an upward trajectory. But as we're in this phase, that sort of Christianity isn't going to work anymore. So you're either a person walking by faith or you're a religious person. Reminds me of a story of uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley. John Wesley's a famous evangelist from the 18th century and his brother Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer. And they were on a boat coming from England to, uh, to America and he was a priest, but he wasn't really a Christian. And the, the boat was about to be overwhelmed, like it was taking on water, and they thought it was going to sink because there was a big storm. And they're freaking out, Charles and John. They're, they're just coming on part, they say. And they hear this singing uh, throughout the boat, and they stumble through uh, the, the rooms, and they come to this room, and there's this group of Christians. And amongst the storm, they're singing, men, women, and children, at the top of their lungs, praises to God in faith. And, and John re records that he, can't, he, he remembers looking at these people with absolute awe. How could they be so calm as he was going crazy? Because they were walking by faith. 
And later John would come to faith and God would do amazing things through him. But which are you? Are you walking like John and Charles or are you walking like those Moravians were? Jesus encourages them in verse 2. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am you may also be. Do you, do you actually believe that, Christians? We're Christians that are so full of fear of death. We so just want to cling to this earth. But do you actually believe that God has made a place for you? And that when you die, it's, it's not going to be black. It's going to be better than it's ever been on this earth. And maybe you who, who would say, I don't believe in a God, or I've never believed in a God, and I don't know what's going to happen when I close my eyes and leave this earth. You can have that promise too. Uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, you can receive hope that when you close your eyes, you will be in a place where there is no more sin, where there is no more evil, where all the garbage we see going on out here isn't. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you can be like Peter, at least for a while. Maybe you're like Peter, and and when he was walking on the water, and that was you for a while. You were walking in faith, and God was doing great things in your life. But somewhere along the line, you took your eyes off of God, and you looked at the circumstances, and then you started to sink like Peter did. God is saying to you, call out to me again in faith. Grab my hand again in faith, and I'll pull you out of the storm. Maybe you feel like you've been forgotten about by God, that he's let you down in some things. Uh, that he, he no longer walks with you, that you've, you've gone too far the other way. God never forgets. That's up here. God said in Isaiah 49, verse 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she would no longer have compassion on the son of her womb? Even they may forget, yet I will never forget you. God is here, men and women. He's waiting for you. Go back to him with a full heart. Verse 5, then Thomas says to him, we don't know where you're going, Lord. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. Or we could say the way to the truth of life. And isn't that what everyone in this world is looking for? A way to walk that is good and right? Truth that they can actually plant their feet on that isn't always shifting with culture? A life of purpose? A life that isn't going to be forgotten about when they die that will live into eternity? I think that's what most people are looking for. And see, here's the thing. Faith is what unlocks that way. You can't walk that way unless you have faith. Did you know that the people in the first couple of decades um, after Jesus had ascended to heaven uh, for the first like 30 years, that they weren't called Christians? They were called people of the way. That's what their reputation is. They walked in a way totally counter to the Roman culture, where they loved each other, they they served each other, they took care of the sick. Uh, When people would throw out babies, uh, which was common, any babies that weren't perfect in, in look, they would throw them out. These people would go and rescue them and take care of them. Who are these people? Oh, they're the people of the way, they would say. That is us if we follow Christ. The way to forgiveness 
the way to forgive yourself. Have you received that forgiveness yet? You know, I hated myself until my mid or until my later 20s. I hated who I was. I looked in the mirror and I hated who I was because I knew what I had done and I knew the things that stirred around in my heart. And I carried those things, that weight. And sure, we can put on a good show, and not some of you, you put on a good show. But deep down, when you're alone, you hate yourself. God is a God who came to forgive you of those things, to release you of those things, to, your fa- to release you of your failures as a parent, to release you of your failures as a spouse, to release you of your failures as a friend, and all the things that we've done that wish we'd never done. He's the way to that. The, G- the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as from the east is from the west, he has removed your transgressions and sins. It's an amazing thing to be released of all the horrible things you've done. It doesn't give you the desire to go and do more horrible things. In fact, it, it, it gives you the desire to go and live a life that's good. It's the way. Those who have been forgiven, they love much. They've been released from hate. They tend to release others from hate. When they've been forgiven, they tend to release others and forgive others. That's why Jesus said in verse thir- chapter 13, verse 34, I give you this new command. Why is it new? Because it's counter to the world. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And Christians, one of the greatest examples to whether you actually are a Christian is if you're actually loving other people as yourself. Even the hard people. It's the way to heaven. Let me assure you, heaven is not a place where good people are. If that was it, I wouldn't be going. Heaven is the place where forgiven sinners go. To those who humble themselves and say, God, I can't earn my way to heaven, but I want to to be with you. And God forgives us of our sin. Hell is the place where everyone who says they can do it on their own go. Those who walk in pride and arrogance. Heaven is the place for those who simply admit they can't do it on their own. Jesus called it the narrow way. Matthew 7, 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and how difficult is the road that leads to life? And If you find it, why is it difficult? Because it involves humility. And humility is so hard for us. And you may say, well, I thought all roads lead to heaven. Well, Jesus said they don't. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except me. So you can't call Jesus a good person. He's either a liar or he's truthful. If if he's a a liar, then he's not a good person. He's either telling the truth and he's offering us a way to him or he isn't. It's the narrow way. And I ask you, Christians, are you walking the narrow way? Those of you who go to church, those who profess to be Christians, are you actually walking the narrow way? My third favorite book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. And it speaks of, it's it's a story of the Christian life. It's, It's an amazing book. If you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, you have to. And in the story, Christian and and Hopeful are are walking on the road, and I'll read a little bit for you. It says, they had gone far, and the road, the narrow road, 
was rough. And they, came, they became disheartened. And Christian noticed a fence that led into a meadow, and it looked like a shortcut. He said, there's a better route. He said, come on, let's go climb over the fence. But what if it takes us the wrong way, said Hopeful. I don't think it will, said Christian. Look, there's another person walking up ahead. So they went over the fence, and Christian was glad to find that the new path was easier on his feet. But he'd made a terrible mistake, for soon the night came, and they were completely lost sight of the man ahead. Then suddenly they heard a shriek in the darkness. Let's not go any further, whispered Hopeful, clutching to Christian's sleeve. Who'd have thought this path would lead us nowhere, exclaimed Christian. Maybe that's some of you. You once followed Christ. You once followed the narrow way, but sometime along the way, some of you got off the path. And now your lives are pretty turned upside down and, and you're sitting in the dark like Christian and saying, how did my life get to this? How did I go from where I, on, where I was to where I am now? Jesus says, come back to me. It's that easy and yet it's that hard. It's that humility. Faith is what provides the truth for our lives. The truth is something that's unchanging. It's never ending. It, it doesn't shift with time or culture. It transcends all nationalities, governments. It is set. It is defined. It is dependable. And if you don't believe in a God, well, then you're left to the shifting truths of society. And, and you're constantly, you think you've got it understood. And then, hey, guess what? Culture is to find a new truth. And so now you got to change. And, and that's the way my life was. I, I picture my life, if you ever seen the movie The Labyrinth, it was like a kid's movie from the 80s or 90s. Anyone ever see that movie? Uh, right. And they're, they're in this thing, this labyrinth. They're trying to make it to the other end. And, and they're, they're walking around uh, and then they hit a dead end. And then they, they turn around and they go back and then they hit another dead end. But they're like, this was an open path just a little while ago. And what they find out later is these little, these little sort of gremlins things, switching the walls, moving the walls all around. And they get more and more lost as they go back over the same places they've been. That's so many people in our culture, right? Up is down one minute, and, and then a down is up, and, and then it's over here. And, and like, you're like, how do I live anymore? But that's not the follower of Christ, because he provides us with truth. It's his word. It was given to us. It's perfect. It's dependable. But sometimes, Christians, we can have a spiked truth. This is to the Christians in the room. Uh, remember the days when people served punch at get-togethers? Right? Well, the, there was always a worry that somebody might spike the punch, right? That your old uncle Joey might dump a little something into the punch and pollute the punch, spike it. Sometimes Christians allow culture and religion to spike their truth. You're drinking something that is partially true, but it's partially not. And culture is trying to spike the truth of God. Culture is so trying to, to get into the church, and it's done it so well in so many churches. And a lot of those churches are empty now. And they're saying, well, you know, God is... He must have changed. It is 2023 now, by the way, and, and so God must have changed with culture. We are Canadians, and therefore God has to kind of change things because we're Canadians, right? And you're like, yeah, 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 he must have changed. If he's a loving God, then he's just cool with everything that everyone says, right? And so you kind of walk around with this spiked truth. Sometimes religion spikes 
the truth. This was the Pharisees' problem. This is why Jesus hammered the religious people of his time so much. Matthew 13, verse 3, Jesus said, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and if anyone who curses his mother and father, they should be put to death. But you say that if anyone says to his mother and father, whatever you would have received from me as a gift is now devoted to God, and there is no need for me to honor my mother and father anymore. Therefore, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. And Christians, there's some people, some in here that go to this church, uh, that uh, nullify the word of God sometimes for religion's sake. Is that you? We don't want to walk with a spiked truth because there's no truth in that. The truth is what sets us free. It's what gives us a firm foundation. Jesus says in Matthew 9, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded on the house. Yet he didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell and the rivers rose and the winds blew and pounded on the house. And it collapsed, and its collapse was great. And how many big-time pastors do we see anymore that, that had a spiked truth? And, and, and they, they walk in good, and everyone's like so impressed by them. They like to twist God's word around and, and makes them popular. And how many of them have we seen all of a sudden their lives come crashing down because they've built their lives in a mud house? But faith provides us with purpose, with a life of purpose. I didn't say it's a life of significance or, or a life of wealth or a life of ease, but a life of purpose. And it's, it's purposeful because God is behind it. The Holy Spirit is leading you to the purposes he has you alive for. Before that, you're like me, wandering aimlessly. But in God, you have purpose in life. Not through me. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a regular guy like you. But through God, he will give you a purpose for your life. By faith, we're walking the way. And then we come under the authority of the truth. And, and once we start walking the way under the authority of the truth, we find our purpose in life. Let me close with uh, this story of a man who came to Jesus. He was a gifted man, an accomplished man, a religious man. But there had always been something missing in his life. All of his money, his power, his fame, his religion. And he was still empty. There was this peace inside of him, a hole. He was trying to repair it himself. And so he came far off seeking answers. And we read about him in Matthew 19. Just then someone came up and asked, Teacher, what good must I do to have eternal life? Why do you ask me? Well, what is good? Jesus says, there is only one who is good. And if you want to enter into a life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he says? Jesus answered, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. I have kept all these, the young man said. What do I still lack? If you want to be perfect, he says, go sell your belongings and give them to the poor. And then come follow me and you will have treasure in heaven. When the young man heard this, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. <clears throat> See, this man, with all his possessions and his religious acts and his, his, his accomplishments, he was still building his life off of a mud house. 
because his trust, his foundation was in his good works, his possessions, his power. He thought he could earn his way to heaven. He thought he could impress God. But God really says to him, Jesus says to him, you're no different than the the leper who's begging. I'm not impressed by your money or your religious accomplishments because he lacked humility. And what can God do with a person who is full of pride? Nothing. And his mud house was wasting away. And so he came seeking answers, but the saddest thing is that he went away sad. And when you come to Jesus, he isn't going to necessarily call you to sell your possessions. In fact, your finances will probably look a lot better in a couple of years. But what Jesus does require, the one thing God requires for salvation, for a transformed life, for a place in heaven, is for you to take your gods off your throne and put him on the throne of your life. And so I ask you, uh, what gods have you replaced? What false gods have you replaced the God of the Bible with? It's not going to work. It's not enough, Christians. And I can see it in some of your lives. Take them off. Put them back on. Jesus invites you. Even you who have never believed to receive him, to come into his family, to be forgiven of your sin, to be given a new life, to find rest in Jesus Christ. He calls you religious people to put away your religion, to get off the fence, to stop playing games with God, and to put your trust in him. And then he'll start to build your life. It won't be a mud house. It'll be a life built off of steel. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, I... Thank you that I thank you that I am not grasping in the darkness anymore. That I'm holding on to your arm, being led by you. And although I see what's going on in the world and gets me angry sometimes, makes me sad sometimes, I have hope that you are going to bring us through it that regardless of what other people do, you can still change me into a better husband, a better father, a better Christian, somebody who looks and speaks like you. God, I pray for those in here who have, who have never given you another thought. They've never really believed in you. I pray that they would see. They'd look around. They'd have ears to hear and eyes to see the state of the world, the state of humanity at its best. They'd see that not only is humanity broken, but they're broken, and that you are a loving and wonderful God who came to earth to give himself for us, to pay for our sins, and invites us into a relationship with God, that we can know you. And then they would look at this guy who's up here talking, and they'd say, either he's nuts or he's telling the truth. And if he's telling the truth, Maybe I better give it some more thought. God, I pray for those who, who, who are in the church, but they're really sitting on the fence. They're hopping over the fence into the world, back into the church, and their lives are not in a good place. I pray that they would come back, back on the narrow way, back on the loving way, back under the authority of your truth. They would uh, orientate their lives to you again, and they'd find purpose and meaning in life. And I pray for those who are walking the narrow way, 
that they would be encouraged. People can see their good works. People can see their love for each other. They are noticed, not only by us, but by you. Thank you for them. Encourage us, Lord, as we go out into this world. Bless these little children. Bless these parents who have committed to you, God. Help them in the challenges of parenting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.